Well, I wanted to take a minute to introduce our speaker this morning. He's been here a couple times, and some of y'all may know him. This is Mr. Stephen Romo. Let's give him a warm welcome this morning. So Stephen is a friend of Randy Thompson's and served with him through Metro Relief and Serenity Church for the homeless in South Dallas for many years. Stephen has a passion for sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to anyone who can um, for helping the people struggling in the most difficult environments. And I believe you said that you're still working um, down in, the, in those areas. Yes, ma'am. Yes. So anyway, warm welcome for Mr. Stephen Romo. Let me change my glasses so I can see. Well, good morning, Lakeway. How, how's everybody doing today? Isn't it a beautiful spring day? I'm not a winter person. I love when spring comes around. Of course, I do like, I was, I was raised in Dallas where we had the changing of the seasons, but I love uh, springtime, and I'm a summer person, so I'm, I'm pretty excited at this day and time. Um, how is everyone? Good? Good? On this Lord's Day, this is the day that the Lord had made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Uh, for those online, Pastor Mike has not uh, dyed his hair, gotten a tan, grown a beard, and lost his accent. My name is Stephen Romo. Uh, Pastor Mike and uh, the other men, as you know, are attending a, a men's conference, uh, a retreat, and I'm honored and humbled that he has asked me to come and tend to this flock to feed his sheep, uh, the Lord's sheep, rather, uh, here at Lakeway. I know that you care uh, uh, deeply for Pastor Mike and the leaders, so I ask you to always remember your pastor in prayer. It's important. It's important. Uh, And the leaders as well. Uh, We pray that these men will come back, especially Pastor Mike, rejuvenated, rested, and his batteries recharged so he can dive back in. Amen? Let's start with prayer. Would you mind praying with me? Father in heaven, you are the God of the creation. You made the heavens, you made the earth, you made the seas and all that's in them. And if we think about that as your flock, as your, as your children, that encompasses everything, including us. We rejoice in this gorgeous day outside and we rejoice in the spirit of your, of your, the spirit of your son, Jesus Christ, that is here today. We welcome him here today. I pray that you stoke the spirit in each person here, young and old, that they come, they leave away today with something that just, that they can carry with them and also entice them to go and open up the word and look back and see for themselves what you had to say if it was true, for you are faithful and true. We love you, Lord. We praise you for all that you do and all God's people say, amen. So when Kayla was speaking in between songs, I was trying to keep it together over there because in Mark chapter 5, 21 through 43 is exactly the main scripture that we'll be going through today. And that is Jairus' son. It gives me chills. That is about Jairus' son. And that is about the, about the woman with the issue of blood. We're going to dissect that today. Isn't it God amazing? Is that not amazing? Wow. So first the story. I heard a story of an old man. He's out for his walk. He's moving slow, and uh, he hears a voice that says, if you pick me up and give me a kiss, I'll become a beautiful young princess. And he's like, am I hearing things? What is that? This is a true story, by the way. And uh, 
he's walking along, takes a few more steps, and he hears it again. If you pick me up and give me a kiss, I'll become a beautiful young princess. He's like, I must be hearing things. And he, he's like, he, so he takes a few more steps, and he hears it again. If you pick me up and give me a kiss, I'll become a beautiful young princess. And he looks down, and there's a frog. Again, it is a true story. And uh, he picks up the frog, looks at it, and puts the frog in his pocket and starts walking. And the frog from inside his pocket says, didn't you hear me? If you pick me up and give me a kiss, I'll become a beautiful young princess. And he said, at my age, I'd rather have a talking frog. I always promised a bad joke. The joke is actually me trying to tell a joke, really. So the, the title of the sermon today, I don't generally give sermon titles, but today I entitled it Desperate for Faith. Pastor Mike tells me y'all are talking about faith. And I said, this is pretty amazing as well. Two weeks ago, I preached from this same scripture and I rewrote it, of course, for the Union Gospel Mission in Dallas. About 300 men sitting there in the homeless ministry. But uh, we'll get into that in a second. Desperate for Faith is the title. On April 26, 2003, Aaron Ralston is, a, is, is an experienced mountaineer. He was solo climbing in Utah's Blue John Canyon in southeast Utah. On a descent, he dislodged an 800-pound boulder that pinned his right wrist to the side of the canyon, canyon wall, hanging there with his hand and his wrist uh, fastened to the canyon wall. He, te- he attempted over and over to free his arm. You probably read about this in the news, but to no avail. He rationed his two burritos in his water and had to resort to drinking his urine to survive. After five days, and not to ruin your lunch, but he, his hand was decomposing. And he, he was beginning to feel weak. Aaron Ralston was in an extremely desperate situation. Out of his desperation, he made a decision to break the bones in his forearm and proceed to sever his forearm with a dull pocket knife. It took one hour to do so. He didn't cut the main arteries until the end. He used tubing from his camelback. That's a deal that holds water. He used tubing from his camelback to tourniquet his arm. He then hiked through the valley, rappelled down a 65-foot drop, and began the eight-mile hike back to his car. I read his account, and his, one of his motivations was he had a dream of himself without part of his arm playing with a future child. The definition of desperate is feeling, showing, or involving a hopeless sense that a situation is so bad as to be impossible to deal with. The definition of desperation, a state of despair, typically one which results in rash or extreme behavior, such a bad situation, you will do anything to change it. And obviously, Aaron Ralston was certainly in a more than desperate situation. Thus, out of his desperation, he made a decision to live. He tells his story in an aptly named autobiography, Between a Rock and a Hard Place. And again, I've given today's message, Desperate for Faith. That's the title. My Lakeway brothers and sisters, the last time I was here, we discussed some of the signs in the world. I think I called that sermon, Bad News, Good News, and I began that one with a bad joke too. Sorry. Hey, laughter is good as as, as a medicine, right? It's good for the heart. Uh, Wars and rumors of wars are going on at that time, and uh, famines and earthquakes and what it says in Matthew 24, verse 8, all these are the beginning of birth pains. Can you feel it? I can feel it. 
I know it's a pretty heavy message, but I believe we need to be cognizant and mindful of these things. So a quick question before I get into the sermon, uh, maybe something for us, all of us to ponder. Have, have things settled down worldwide or have they escalated? We just had an earthquake where over 47,000 people died in Turkey. I mean, and it, I was talking to, to Dave that amazes me that that was in the, the news and it hasn't been talked about since. Almost 50,000 people in one earthquake. That's tragic. Our world is full of people that are desperate Separated from their creator, spiritually in darkness, spiritually dead. They don't realize they are desperate to live just like Aaron Ralston. I believe that, again, we are in a day and time in history of the world where the world is full of people experiencing a form of desperation not seen before. It's like a low simmering desperation. People are young, especially among the young people, they're desperate for the truth. And isn't it hard to find the truth today? Out, I'm talking about, it's not hard to find the truth here. Let me say that. That's where the truth is. But I'm talking about in social media and the news. Who's telling the truth? It's hard to find the truth. And those young people, I think, are desperate for the truth. They're desperate for God. But may, I don't think they even know what they're desperate for. And look what's happening at Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky and other colleges. I've been praying for that for so long. The young people have the world up in their face and it's hard for them to hear the small, still voice of the Lord. Blaise Pascal said, and you probably heard this before, so humor me. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God, the creator, made known through Jesus Christ. So today, my brothers and sisters, today I would like to look at one account of two separate people that I think we're going to meet in heaven someday. They were desperate and found themselves, with, found themselves without any other options. Nothing in this world, no one in this world could help them at this day and time. But only the one that came from heaven. And you know what? These, people, these two like solar opposites for the day and time. And again, as I mentioned, the scripture if you want to turn to your, in your Bibles, we're, getting, we're going to get into it. It's Matthew 5, 21 through 43. We're going to take it in bits. But first, let's talk about faith. What is faith? All of us day in, day out, day in, day out have to ha- exercise some form of faith in our daily lives, whether it's in the government ooh, or local municipalities like electric and water, law enforcement. Uh, me, uh, airplanes, I, I'm good, I'm good now, but airplanes, in April 1912, uh, 2,224 2, people had great faith in a boat called, a ship called Titanic. They called that an unsinkable ship. They had a lot of faith in that ship. So, what does the Bible say about faith? Well, Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is being certain of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. We hope for it. We don't see it, but we know it. Amen. It's there. My brothers and sisters, it may sound harsh, but faith that is not rooted in Jesus Christ is no faith at all. How could you say something like that? You might think, well, I had 40 years without Jesus. I know what it was like to have no faith or to have faith in myself. So I can say that with experience. If you don't have faith in God's only son, you cannot please God. It says in scripture and that scripture scripture is Hebrews 11 verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. I would underline, underline that in your Bible if you believe in marking up your Bible. If you look at mine, I definitely believe in marking up my Bible. I date things. I sign things. I write notes to myself. And someday I'll go back and read them again. Must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. That's a whole month of sermons right there from Hebrews eleven six. Listen, by faith in God's only son, it enables you to please God. My watch is trying to get into the conversation. It enables, by faith in God's only son, it enables you to please God. And he rewards those who diligently seek him. And what do we seek? The son. And I love what it says in Hebrews. The son is the veil that we step in through. Into the holy of holies. And what is it? It's heaven. I'm looking forward to heaven. Because I've been to hell on earth. Y'all know my story. I've been here. Yes, it was my own doing. We'll get into that some other time. Let's get back into the message. Faith saves us. Faith saves us. Ephesians 2 verse 8. This is, this is, it, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. A gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. And I think this is my last scripture about faith. I love this scripture. And you got to remember Peter. Peter was the... Impetuous. He was one that said things before he should when Jesus was walking with him. And then look at Peter, how Peter writes in 1 Peter. And this begins in verse 6, and I'm going to read through 9. In this you greatly rejoice now. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. They have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Verse 8, though you, may not, though, though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Isn't that beautiful? Peter. If God can do that with Peter, it's so exciting to me. So let me say this. You can't see him. Though he's everywhere, the heavens and earth cannot contain him, the Bible says. Though he is everywhere. You know know why people go to nature? They go to like Yosemite. Even atheists want to go to Yosemite because that's God's cathedral. You can feel his presence there. They don't even know why they're going there. I love going to nature. I love going on walks through trees in the woods and things like that. That's because God, that, that's God's creation. You can't see him, but you love him and are filled with an inexpressible joy. You know, if my joy isn't around in there, I have to get back in the word and try to get the world off me. That means my, the world is on me or other things are taking away my joy. And I've also said this before from the pulpit. Lord, how can I have joy when the world is going to hell? Am I just supposed to be okay with myself and say and not be not be concerned for the lost in the world? I don't think so. I think that for us that are strong believers in Christ, we need to be desperate for the lost in the world. Amen? I think we need, I know we do. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So Lakeway, let me set this up. Jesus, before we get into Mark 5, Jesus has begun his ministry. If you look at John, the first part of John, he is, it says that the first two miracles he performed were turning water to wine and he healed an official son. 
He touched a leper. Uh, he healed Peter's mother-in-law who had a fever. And if you read each one of these synoptic gospels that has this story that we're going to get into, he started it at sunset and it says he healed all that came to him. You know, if it was dark, I'd be like, it's dinner time. Can't y'all come back tomorrow? No. And I hope you get, get this, the compassion and the love of Jesus. And it doesn't say he was all Jews only. Anybody that came to him, he healed them all. He healed them all. It says that he, that he healed them all, driving out many demons. Uh, what a powerful picture of the love and compassion Jesus has for us. He didn't turn them away at nighttime. He went probably through the night. So that is reaching the ears of the Pharisees. That's reaching the ears of Jerusalem. It's, it's, he's becoming somewhat famous in a way. And he's fulfilling specifically Isaiah 53, 4. He took, up, he took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Now, let's look at two very desperate people. One is a religious leader. Put this down here. It's going to roll off. One is a religious leader. And here's something that you also need to be mindful of. If you're reading and Jesus is in the, in the scriptures, as long as Jesus is alive, the Old Testament sacrificial system is in place. You follow me? That all the sacrifices and everything, as long as he's alive, when he is taken up, then the New Testament comes into play. Or the... Stop. Or the... I'm going to do this. She's going away. Or the, uh, uh, the, 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 the time of grace. We're under grace and under the law anymore, under Christ. So, one is a religious leader. The other, an unnamed woman. And she's an unnamed woman in a man's world. Women were oppressed at this time. So, I'm going to read Mark 2. It'll be up on the screen. You can follow there if you don't have your Bible with you. But we're going to read the first part from Mark 5, 21 through 24. Listen to the word of the Lord. When Jesus had, had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. 22. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet. I underlined that, that twice in my Bible. He fell at his feet. 20, 23. And pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on, hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Wow. We'll stop there. So we're introduced to Jairus. And by the way, if you haven't seen the, the version of Chosen on this, how they depicted this, I double dog dare you to not cry during that. I double dog dare you. It's amazing. But we're introduced to Jairus. He's a prominent man. He's a synagogue ruler. He's interacting with all the religious leaders, specifically the Pharisees. Uh, he's a man of renown. He's, he's uh, got power. He's a man of influence. He's more like, most likely wealthy. He certainly heard about Jesus' healings. Matter of fact, I think it's the Matthew version says that he heard about Jesus. And you also remember, there's a large crowd inundating him. It'd be like if Tom Cruise tried to walk through Legacy West with 12 bodyguards, what's going to happen? And he's just having fun. What, it's, there's going to be a, tons of people trying to get near him. A large crowd is inundate him. Verse 22. He shows great humility and desperation. And as I said, I underlined in my Bible, he fell at his feet. These men didn't bow down to anybody. But this man was in such a desperate situation. And I can remember when my daughter was 12. 
No adolescence or hormones had hit yet. She's still my sweet girl. And you can, I can only imagine what this man was going through. He shows great humility and desperation. He falls at his feet. No synagogue, uh, no synagogue full of Pharisees could help him. All those religious men couldn't help him. Verse 23, please come and put your hands on her. This is his faith statement, by the way. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And I love, 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 verse 24. Doesn't say Jesus said anything. It just says, so Jesus went with him. I love it. Absolutely love it. So you have a story within the story. That's Jairus. Now let's read Mark 5, 24 through 29. 24 through 29. Let me find my place. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Verse 25. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, I underlined that and highlighted that in yellow. When she heard about Jesus, verse 27, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, here's her faith statement. If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Wow. So again, you have a large crowd following, slowing Jairus's getting Jesus to his daughter. He might have gotten a little anxious. Or did he have so much faith that he said, you know what? If she even dies, he can raise her from the dead. I'm good. When I got him. He's coming to my house. So now he's talking to a woman, slowing down even further. And if you go back and read Leviticus 15, you'll see that she was declared unclean. She had, she could, she's not supposed to be in the city. She has, she's supposed to yell, unclean, unclean. Think about the shame and the disgrace. She's a woman at this time, very oppressed society. 12 years, ceremonially unclean, as I mentioned, living outside the city. She's an outcast. No human touch, no, no hugs from anybody, no affection, no kisses from any of her family, no marriage, no children, and she spent all she had, so she's indigent, indigent. She spent all she had, and she's dying a slow death. She's desperate. Verse 27 says, when she heard about Jesus, and again, her faith statement, verse 28, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. She, just, she, she doesn't say I might be, I could be, possibly be. She says, I will be healed. And here's something that came to me. I don't remember if I read it in a commentary or what, but listen, you have two females, a 12-year-old girl. She was born 12 years ago. She began a life of suffering. Then you have a woman that was born that 12 years prior began hemorrhaging and their past cross on this day. You think that's a coincidence? I don't. A woman, a little girl born 12 years ago, a woman started bleeding 12 years ago and they're on this path and they cross with all this crowd around them, both facing death, no chance of marriage, no chance of bearing children. On this day, a divine appointment activated by faith, one brought back from the dead, the little girl, once saved from death, given new life. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Now let's get into Mark 5. Let's read 30 through 34. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? Verse 31. You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, Who touched me? 
But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Verse 34. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Wow. Jesus stops and asks out loud, who touched my clothes? Today, we are hearing an amazing true story about Jesus. And here's something that to me is a little sad. There's a large crowd around him, right? A large crowd pushing against him. Large crowd of people all around him, but only two people. Two people with deep enough faith to seek a touch. Two people, Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood. And here's something I pray for all of us, online believers, whether you're seeking or you're not, you're not sure about this faith in Christ. May we all be desperate for faith in him as we live in this vile world, this dark world, that he may say spiritually, who touched me? Maybe he's sitting at the right hand of the father, right? Maybe he'll stand up sometimes and say, who touched me in, in the colony? Who touched me? Somebody touched me. Who is that? Of course, he knows because he's God. Okay, let's continue the story. Let's get into Mark 5, 35 through 43. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Let me stop right there. If he's only a teacher to you, you're missing it. It says, why bother the teacher anymore? This person that said that, he was only a teacher to him. He, he wasn't God. Verse 36, ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. If you haven't heard anything today, take that with you. Don't be afraid, just believe. Believe. Verse 37, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing aloud, loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and willing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But when they laughed at him, but they laughed at him rather. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Verse 42, immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Again, the crowd has been slowed by the woman and the throng of the people. Jesus stops and asks out loud, who touched my clothes? In verse 36, he says, don't be afraid, just believe. Verse 39, the child is very much dead. But listen, when Jesus... Jesus isn't correct in saying that she's asleep. He's correct in saying she's asleep because when Jesus walks into a room where there's a dead person, there's going to be awakening. Amen? He's, there's going to be awakening. And in this story, that's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens. Uh, awa- he awakens him spiritually, rebirth, and that wellspring from within, as it's talked about in John chapter 4, that eternal life. That's an amazing, amazing thing. And that's what's happened to me. Uh, that wellspring of life from rebirth in John chapter 3. So I'm close to getting to the end here. I'm about to close. What can we take away from this amazing scripture? These two people that I believe, again, will meet in heaven. First takeaway, desperation or a brokenness. This brokenness can lead 
a person to cry out for God, cry out, for, cry out in faith in his son. This is exactly what happened to me. Psalm 51 verse 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and con- contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. In 2002, 2003, I was broken. I was tired. And I just cried out. I cried out, Lord, if you are ready, if you're real, rather, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to die. And he made himself known to me. Point number two, humble ourselves. Jairus and the woman both fell down before Jesus. And again, if you read in scripture, the Pharisees loved it when people bowed down to them. When they kissed their hand, they called them, Rabbi, Rabbi. They wore their long cloaks and they had their pretty garments and their, and their phylacteries were large. We need to humble ourselves in his presence. I believe this woman may have crawled through the crowd. She's not supposed to be there. You understand that? I think she may have got, crawled through the crowd. And I've said it before. If you want to get high, you got to get low. And the Bible says, he who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. And I love how Peter put it in 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Point number three, confess your faith. You say it. You speak it. Romans 10, verse 9. I love Romans 10, verse 9. I'm going to read it. I don't think I gave it to her. It's a scripture, but I just love it. So I'm going to read it anyway. I'm the preacher. I can do what I want. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but I love the scripture that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. It's like when um, you say Jesus is Lord, you're basically quoting Romans 10, 9. And if something is on top of you or bothering you, say Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. You say it over and over, and I promise you, it'll go away. It'll go away. You're confessing it with your mouth. Thomas said in uh, John 20, my Lord and my God. And Isaiah 45, you can say, you are God. There is none other. You are the Lord. You're speaking it. You're saying it. You're confessing it with your mouth. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Businessman Alan Emery had a wool business. He decided, I want to spend an evening with my shepherd, out with my flocks, out in the Texas prairie and see what it's all about. During the night, coyotes began to well in the distance. The shepherd dogs stood up and began to growl. And they peered out into the darkness. The sheep who were once sleeping stood up quickly, bleeding pitifully. The shepherd tossed a couple more logs on the fire, and the flames shot into the sky. In the glow, Alan, the the business owner, saw thousands of little lights in the distance. And this is what he realized. He realized that the lights were the eyes of the sheep. The eyes were reflecting the fire. As they looked, not out into the darkness where the coyotes were, but toward their shepherd and their protector. Their eyes were set in the direction of their safety. My Lakeway friends and family, 
my brothers and sisters online, may we have a desperate faith to continually seek after God, to be bold to reach out and touch him. Every day, you got to touch him every day, because I know the world gets on me. I have to battle the things that I did in my past. I've said it before. I had 40 years without Jesus. I'm about to be 59. I'm right at 19 years with him. And some of y'all were brought up in the church. I was not. But you can still get the world on you. May we be desperate for the touch. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Desperate to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And look again to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, you are God. There is none other. You are the Lord. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm grateful for this amazing story of two desperate people. May we be desperate in our faith. Desperate and to seek a touch from you daily. Maybe throughout the day, God. Desperate for those that are lost. Uh, give us that desperate faith, Lord, to say what we, what we believe, to speak out in love and grace to those that are lost, to our neighbors, to, in our workplace, no matter where we are in this, in this world, Lord. May we not put our eyes away from the world that is, of, that is full of people that are lost and they're desperate and they don't even know what they're desperate for. May we be a light in a dark place. May we be the salt of the earth. We love you, God, and we praise you. And we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people say, Amen. Thank you, Stephen. This is a wonderful message this morning. I wanted to I wanted to touch on what happened up here because this morning when I got here, I thought, well, let me see, you know, if the songs that I picked this week kind of line up and saw that his sermon was on desperate faith. So I'm walking up here and I'm tuning my guitar and all this stuff. And that scripture pops into my mind. And right before I came up here, I went back there and I said to Louie and Alex, what's that thing? You know, what's that scripture? Where's that from? I want to make sure I say the right, you know, say the right scripture. And we were trying to figure it out. And I was like, okay, it's in Mark. So right before I come up here, I like look over it because I wanted to make sure that I knew exactly what Jesus's words were. But it's a God thing. But the thing, that I, the thing that I wanted to say about it is it's not surprising. That happens to Mike and I all the time. The reason that it is so important to serve in the church is because those kinds of things happen and they strengthen your faith every single time. Like, it's just, it's just like I can't even explain the feel of God's faithfulness in ordaining all of those things, but you can't feel that unless you're serving your church, unless you're in community. So I just really wanted to encourage, and I didn't want to let that moment pass by because again, things like that happen and you feel it when you're serving with the body of church, uh, body of Christ. So without any further ado, let me do the announcements and I would um, invite those that are going to take the offering to come up, please. Um, so first Monday prayer, March 6th, Tomorrow at 7 p.m. First Monday prayer, guys. This is a time where um, we can go ahead and start taking the offering. I'll just do the announcements while we're taking the offering. Is that right, Kelly? Okay. Um, first Monday prayer, I want to get better about being at first Monday prayer myself. I have participated in it in the past. And one, you just get to know 
the prayers of what is being of what we need to be praying for. Um, because sometimes we list things, sometimes we send emails out, but that intimate time to come and be with other people from the church and actually praying for things, you learn who's in need, what are the praises. And again, that's a faith strengthening time, right? Because you see prayers answered all the time, but you can't see those if you don't know what's going on, right? So I would really encourage everybody to come to First Monday Prayer, be a part of it. You don't have to pray. You could just literally sit there and just be part of, you know, be part of the prayer, um, or you could pray openly. It's kind of whatever you want to do, but please, please come if you have the time. You don't have to come every single week either. I should say that. If you start coming and you're like, it's a, it's a, uh, uh, New Year's resolution. I'm going to come to first Monday prayer, but oh, I missed the second one. So I guess I'm just not going to come anymore. That's just come when you can. That's, that's the point. Men's breakfast, Saturday, March 11th, 8 a.m. Um, VBS training. So VBS is a whole deal, right? Lots of kids. We need lots of help. This is one of those moments where you can serve and you can, and you can have your faith strengthened um, by God during that service time. So just be a part of VBS. You can do so many different things, so many ways to serve at VBS. So VBS training Sunday, March 19th, 12 PM in the Lakeway Sanctuary. If you want to be a part of that. Women's Ministry First Quarter Birthday Celebration and Secret Sister Reveal. That's Sunday, March 26th. It'll be immediately after the service and in the um, little fellowship hall over there where we have food sometimes. You can contact Nancy Lopez or Sue Moore for more info on that. And then the ministry fair is going to be Sunday, April 16th. And the women's women's themed dinner um, is Sunday, April 23rd at 5 p.m., Kelly, did you, um, let's see, is that something, oh, okay, tickets on sale in the foyer starting March 12th. Okay, so that's coming up um, to buy tickets for that, and that's going to be awesome. So I really encourage all the women to be be a part of that. The women that plan it put a whole lot of work into it, Um, so just come and enjoy it, be a part of it if if you can. And um, I think that's everything. You can see Martha and I and Becky went for questions on that. Oh, there's all of our lovely guys. That's all I pretty much have to say about that. (laughs) Is there anything else I should say about the men's retreat? No, this is men's retreat. Our guys are having, if you didn't go to men's retreat this year, bookmark it for next year because they have a lot of fun and obviously they're having a lot of fun. They're all wearing their shirts this year. So that's good times. And that's another one that they put so much, the guys put so much work into that. I mean, not as much as the women do for our stuff, but you know, they put a lot of work into that. So it's just a really good time and, um, good time for them to, to connect and all the things. So I'll pray us out this morning. I won't take up any more of your time. Y'all have a blessed week. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for just allowing us to come in this room, that we live in a place where we can worship you publicly, God, that we can come together as the body of Christ, that we can see lives change, miracles happened, that our faith can be strengthened through you, Father, um, and that we can learn, as I said before, to grow in righteousness, to grow in the things of Christ, to put off the things of the flesh, Father. Um, We pray for our week as we go, um, that we would be um, 
thinking constantly about the things that we discussed today, um, that these things would be constantly changing our hearts, changing our minds, and allowing us to give testimony to be a light in the world that you put us in for this time and this purpose. I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have such a good week.